0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever had a meerkat moment? Have you ever had a meerkat moment? If you're not familiar with what a meerkat is, uh, or a meerkat moment is, then here's some very cute looking meerkats. A meerkat moment is a moment you might have experienced it maybe at school, when the teacher's teaching, or at church, when the preacher's preaching. And the words are sort of passing over your head. And then suddenly they say something, bam, you sit up and you take notice, like a meerkat. You go, meerkat moment, that's really interesting. Have you ever had a meerkat moment? Something that makes you sit up and take notice? The reason why I ask is that I've had two meerkat moments in the last couple of weeks. The first was two weeks ago when Fergus was speaking. And he was um, saying that we need to speak the truth in love. Uh, And then he read from um, Proverbs, and he read that the wounds from a friend can be easily, can be trusted. That was a meerkat moment for me. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Isn't that good? In fact, can you turn to the person next to you, and can you say, wounds from a friend can be trusted? (laughs) Great. And then I I had a second meerkat moment last week when Neil was speaking. And he did a great job, and he said um, that in a church, leadership is always plural. That's good, isn't it? That was a meerkat moment for me. That caught my attention. And um, Neil then went on to say that we all lead someone. In fact, can you turn to the person next to you and can you say, we all lead someone? <laughs> Fantastic. So that's where we are. Um, and this morning, I get to come and bring part three of four of this series called Dare to Care. And we called it that because caring is daring. We were going to call it um, Who Cares? It sounded a bit more provocative. um, But we then realised that was going to be a little bit of a connect group conversation killer. Can you imagine it? Oh, sorry I wasn't at church on Sunday. Um, What's the series we're doing? Who cares? Or maybe in the workplace. Oh, and what do they talk about at your church then? Who cares? It was going to be a bit of a conversation killer. So we didn't go there and we've called it Dare to Care. And these Dare to Care series is based on 1 and 2 Timothy, otherwise known as the pastoral epistles. Um, And as you might have guessed, the books of 1 and 2 Timothy have a particular personal connection to me. I've had more um, encouragement cards, prophetic words, baptism verses with my own name in it than you can imagine. People think that giving me a verse with my own name in it is somehow a lot more personal. And so this morning, we're going to do part three of four of this series, Dare to Care. And because I love a little bit of alliteration, I've decided to call this morning Creating a Culture of Care in the Context of Community. This morning, I want to unpack um, a change in the way in which we care for one another in the context of church community. And as leaders, we want to continue moving from a model where care is something that a small number of people do to other people to a model where we can all participate and where caring for each other becomes central to our culture. And so this morning, I want to explore why, what, and how. Why shift to a culture of care? What is that going to look like? And how can we manage that without burning out? Does that sound okay? Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth and life and light. God, this morning as we open your word together, Would you speak to us through it, we pray. Thank you, God, that you love this town, you love this church, you love these people with an intensity that we couldn't imagine. And God, this morning, would we be open to what you want to say to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this change from a system of care to a culture of care is already underway here at Freedom Church. But it never hurts to recap why we're doing what we're doing. And although there are more reasons, here are two reasons why we're making this shift. Number one, hands up if you'd like to see our church grow. Yes, it's not just me. We want to see this church grow bigger with people discovering Jesus for the first time. Not because numbers are important, but because people are important. But it's God's work, isn't it, to draw people to him. Most of the people we've seen discover Jesus for themselves in this community in the last year would say that God was on their case and that they were searching for answers. It's God's work for our church to grow, but it's our job not to get in the way. By which I mean we need to make sure that every aspect of church can cope with growth. For the church to grow continually, everything we do needs to be growable, and nothing more so than the way that we care for one another. I know that most of you think that SIM only works one day a week, and that he really should have time to care for everyone. But that's not true. But that is the model that so many churches in the UK still operate. And so countless leaders in this country get burnt out trying to care for everyone themselves. If we stick with the standard approach to care that the UK church has adopted, the leader or an employee or a group of employees or a group of volunteers is responsible for providing all the care. And when they reach their capacity, whether that's 50 people, 100 people, or 200 people, whenever they reach their capacity, effective church growth stops and leaders burn out. And that's a fact. In fact, that's a fact as old as Moses. Exodus 18, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes to visit Moses on holiday. Don't you love it when your father-in-law comes to your house for a holiday? (laughs) And the next day, Jethro watched on as Moses sat to judge the people. And um, the people stood around him from morning till evening. And funnily enough, for a father-in-law, Jethro had a suggestion to make. And Jethro said, and I'm paraphrasing, what you're doing, Moses, is not good. You'll certainly wear yourself out. You're not able to do it alone. I'll give you advice. Look for able men from all the people and place them over all the people. If Moses was burning out from trying to care for everyone himself, then so, I suspect, would sin. So why do we need to shift to a culture where care is something that we all participate in? Because it will help our church to continue growing. It will give it space to grow. And it will help our leaders from burning out. And there's a second reason why we want to shift from a culture of care which is the few to the many. And that's this. Jesus taught us in the book of John, chapter 15, the verse that Hannah read out last week at the 7, that by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. People will look at us as a church and make presumptions about God by the way that we love one another. If in a contagiously caring community, people catch a glimpse of God that shows them that he is loving, but it works both ways. If people see judgmentalism, competition, constant comparison, undermining or cliques, people often run from the church. And as they run from the church, they so often conclude that God can't possibly be loving after all. The Bible is so clear that this church, this kingdom community, should be loving. In fact, authors throughout the Bible really labour this point. A few verses for you. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Honour one another above yourselves. Accept one another Greet one another with a holy kiss. Maybe try that next week. Um, agree with one another. Be united in mind and thought. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Do you get the picture yet? Be kind to each other. Hold each other in the highest regard. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, brothers. Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. In other words, Paul's saying, treat each other as family. Who wants to be part of that community. So why do we want to continue creating a church-wide culture of care? Because it will allow the church space to grow freely. And because in doing so, people will see revealed through the church the truth that God is a God of love. People will see revealed through the church the truth that God is a God of love. What a result. And so, what does a culture of care in the context of community actually look like? Well, I'm going to spend the next eight minutes, precisely, trying to explore this. If I reach eight minutes, someone shout at me. Is that okay? And by the way, some of these things um, are things that we already do or are already starting to do. Or maybe they're things we've been doing for ages. These aren't the things we're not very good at. These are just the things that I think are key building blocks to creating a church-wide culture of care. And this morning, maybe you find yourself here with some doubts. Maybe you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about God at all. And if that's you, then don't switch off because I'm still talking to you. Yes, I'm about to share some images of what I believe care in church should look like. But I really believe that everything in how we love one another reflects the love that God has first shown us. So this morning, if you're not really that bothered about what care in church looks like, then stick with it. Because I really believe that the way that we love one another is but a mere reflection, an imperfect image of the love that God has for us. Is that okay? Great. Four images, eight minutes, one snazzy little PowerPoint. Someone start the clock. That was just a preamble. You can't include that. (laughs) Start. (laughs) Yeah, get it in. Um, Image number one, the fire service. Did you know until the Great Fire of London in 1666, there was no real fire service? Before that, the response to a fire was pretty much just running around with buckets and hoping for the best. But we do now have an amazing fire service, and in recent years, the number of fires they attend is falling year on year. That's why firefighting heroes like our very own Frank get to spend so much time sleeping and playing table football when he's on duty. (laughs) And why have the number of house fires been falling year on year? They've fallen year on year because the fire service started to identify the common causes of fire, and then set out to deliberately try and combat these. The fire service effectively shifted from being reactive to being proactive. They do education in schools, don't they? Risk assessments in office blocks. They install smoke detectors. And on the whole, they do a lot less running around with buckets and hoping for the best. The analogy here, I guess, is that pastoral care has so often been reactive in the church. Churches across the country have been guilty of waiting until a crisis and then suddenly jumping in to help? Sim, I'm leaving my wife. Sim, I'm addicted to pornography. Sim, I've lost all my savings on betting websites. We're, we're None of us are immune from this stuff, are we? But why do we wait for a crisis? Why not be proactive? Let's not wait until a marriage is on the rocks before we start caring. Let's instead invest in marriages and encourage couples to go on the marriage course to help them have those difficult conversations? Why wait until someone's in poverty from debt? Let's instead use the cap money course, as we've been hearing this morning as a coaching tool. Why wait until someone abandons their faith? Why not help people to admit their doubts and be honest with one another? Rick Warren, a senior pastor of one of America's biggest churches, says this, in any church where lives are being changed, marriages are being saved and love is flowing freely, you have to lock the doors to keep people from attending. In the Bible, it often talks about being prepared. In other words, being proactive. Titus 3, 1. Do, be ready to do whatever is good. Be proactive. 1 Peter 1, 13. Prepare your mind for action. Be proactive. Image 1, the fire service. In the context of this community, we will establish a culture of care which is proactive. Image 2, The London Marathon. I'm running a marathon the weekend after next, and the thing that I'm dreading most is the lack of support, as well as the distance, the hills, the weather, (laughs) my general unfitness. Um, But in particular, the thing that I'm dreading is the lack of support. It's in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to be lonely, especially by hour six or seven. In fact, it's the complete opposite to the London Marathon, which is world-famous for constant support. People travel from far and wide for that level of support. By the way, the guy in the photo, if you can't see, is holding up a sign which says, pain is temporary, getting a time that's sub-free lasts forever. If Maddie or my parents hold up a banner like that next weekend, I will probably cry. Um, But how good would it be to be in a community where you're constantly being cheered on? It'd be like the embodiment of Hebrews 10.24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as some are in the habit, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching, or 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Cheer each other on. You know what? If I wanted a running coach, I'd want Paul. And we see this in his relationship with Timothy, who he constantly cheers on. In fact, 1 and 2 Timothy are a written record of Paul cheering Timothy on. I hope that you feel cheered on in the wonderful kingdom things that you're doing inside and outside of this church. And I wonder who you're cheering on at the moment. Image two, the London Marathon. In the context of this community, we will establish a culture cheering one another on. Image three, a web. This web represents our connectedness. In this community, everyone cannot be connected to everyone, but everyone can be connected to someone. Everyone is connected. Again, we see this in 1 and 2 Timothy. Paul had different people he was connected to, but he was connected to them in different ways. He treated Timothy like a son. He treated others like co-workers and others like acquaintances. And the interesting thing here is that this connectedness flows both ways. Sometimes in this setting in the church, the caregiver becomes the care-receiver and vice versa. Paul cared for Timothy, He gave to him. He called him his child. He spent time writing to him. He gave of himself to him. But sometimes the roles swapped. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 9, Paul is struggling in prison and he asks Timothy to care for him instead. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you. Because he is helpful to me in ministry. Timothy have been the recipient of Paul, the mentor, the teacher, the father figure. And now Timothy finds himself attending to Paul to help and encourage him. Image three, a web. In the context of this community, we're all connected and the care flows both ways. And last image, image four, a seesaw. It's the epitome of balance. In Freedom Church, We believe in an all-powerful, all-knowing God who can heal any sickness or disease, a gracious God who can repair any broken situation, don't we? Yes. (laughs) But we also understand that scientific progress is God choosing to reveal understanding to scientists, medics, psychiatrists and researchers. So we need an approach which balances our faith in Almighty God with our understanding of nature revealed by God. About four years ago to the day, someone incredibly close to me suffered a dramatic acute mental health crisis. Over the course of about 36 hours, this person went from being exactly how I knew them, and had always known them, to having full-blown psychosis. And it was a really difficult time. But in that moment, I prayed. I mean, I prayed and prayed. But at the same time, I also did everything I could to make sure they were admitted to a specialist psychiatric hospital. And the doctors there knew that the tiniest milligram of some drug imbalance was causing this situation. And over a couple of weeks, the amazing doctors could bring it back under control. Admitting them to hospital wasn't weak faith. I wasn't saying God wasn't able to heal them. I was simply acknowledging that there is a medical solution and that we'd be foolish not to take it. I mean, Paul did this for Timothy. Yes, Paul was praying for him, but he also was giving him practical health in averted comments advice. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 23, for example. Paul instructs Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. That might not be such sound advice these days, and it's definitely not the take-home message from this morning. (laughs) But the point is... Paul prayed for Timothy, and he instructed Timothy in practical, almost medical sort of ways. And this balance also means accepting that sometimes people need help from beyond our church community. I'd guess that we're probably able to deal with maybe 98% of care needs ourselves in church, but there's probably 2% of stuff going on where we need external support. Specialists, bereavement counsellors, mental health practitioners, medical doctors... We need to discern, led by the Spirit, when the needs of a situation are beyond our resources or expertise. Boom, is my eight minutes up? Yes. Um, I hope that what I've tried to articulate excites you. I hope that you think, yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of a community where there's a culture of care which is proactive, where we cheer one another on, where we're all connected, where care flows both ways, and where we have a balanced approach accepting our limitations. I want to be part of that community. In fact, I am part of that community. I'd like you to take one minute, turn to the person next to you and just quickly share, which of those images do you think has the greatest potential to transform the way we care for one another? Which picture do you think articulates the sort of change that you most want to see? One minute to discuss, off you go. Okay, good to hear some interesting things there. Please do carry those conversations on later, or maybe in your connect groups during the week. Um, But here's the crux, and here's what I want you to be thinking about all week and discussing at connect groups. Because I can almost hear what you're thinking. Tim, nice ideas, but we're already a bit too busy. So how can you expect us to take on caring for each other in this way? In, in all my busyness, in my precious little time, how can I start to wholeheartedly care for others more without burning out? And that's a really valid question. And to start exploring that question, I'd like to introduce you to a concept that I only really started to appreciate through my time, immersed, sometimes literally, in the world of whitewater kayaking. Let me introduce you to this. This is a fro bag. It's an essential piece of whitewater kayaking equipment. And it's basically a bag full of floating rope. Um, who'd be a good kayaker? David, would you mind, could you just stand in... Oh, sorry, David behind you, actually, sorry. Right, either David, I was going... For... You've got three Davids in a row. Oh, great. David, if you, you'd be in the right position, if you could just stand in the aisle, that'd be perfect. And um, I'd like you to imagine this scene, and this is a scene I've actually found myself in. David's kayaked an amazing rapid. It's really impressive, he did it really well. Nice one, David. And right at the end, he went over this waterfall, and he disappeared under the water... And um, he didn't come up for a little while. And about 10 seconds later, he pops up over there, looking a bit splashed in the face and confused. Um, and he's no longer in his kayak, and he's no longer holding onto a paddle. OK, so that's the situation. And David is rapidly disappearing down the river towards the next rapid, which, without a kayak or a paddle, is going to be remarkably uncomfortable. <laughs> and so fortunately, I anticipate this situation. I've got out, i got on the bank, and I've got a rope in a bag, a floating rope that I can throw to David. David, rope! Great. David grabs the rope and just holds it with a little bit of tension. That's perfect. And so this is good. I've brought myself some time, because otherwise David's going to shoot down the river and have a bit of a beating down the next rapid. And it buys me some time to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to go up the bank? Where am I going to pull him in? What am I going to do? But before I can really decide what I'm going to do, and I've been in this situation, the weight of the river, the whole power of the river is pulling David downstream. And suddenly I realise, before I can decide what I'm going to do, it's already being pulled out of my hand. So I change my grip. I go for a stronger grip, and I think, yeah, this buys me some time. But immediately, the rope's still being pulled out of my hand. David's being pulled downstream. So I sort of I pay some rope out to just buy myself some time. And that works really well until I get to the end of the rope. And then I've got a decision I've got to make. David's still being pulled downstream and is now pulling me closer and closer to the edge of the river. How far do I let him pull me? The risk is that I get pulled all the way into the river in my desperation to rescue David. That's not good. Thanks, David, you can sit down, we can leave that there. That wouldn't be good. The result would be me and David heading down the river without a kayak or a paddle towards the next rapid. That would be bad. (laughs) And so the principle that my time as a kayaking instructor taught me was this sometimes you have to look after yourself. If you don't let go of the rope and you get dragged downstream, then two people need rescuing, and you're no help at all. If you're going to take seriously your responsibility to look after others, sometimes you've got to look after yourself first. And as a leader responsible for people's safety, I quickly learned that sometimes you have to look after yourself, and that if you don't, ultimately, you might not be in a fit state to be able to look after others. Does that make sense? have moments where you put yourself first so that ultimately you can put others first. Steady on, Tim. You can't seriously be standing on the stage in a church and teaching people to put themselves first, can you? Isn't that counter-Jesus? Shouldn't we be putting other people first? Yeah, fair point. (laughs) But I don't think it's a case of either looking after other people or looking after yourself. It's a case of looking after other people and looking after yourself. In fact, I think it's a case of looking after yourself in order to be able to look after other people. I mean, the Bible clearly supports the idea of putting others first. Here's a few verses. Let no one uh, seek his own good but the good of his neighbour. Love is patient, it is not self-serving. In humility, count others as more significant than yourself. If anyone would be first, he must be last and servant of all. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the Bible also clearly supports the idea of putting or looking after yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, therefore honour God with your bodies. And look how Paul urges Timothy. 1 Timothy 5.22 Do not partake in the sins of others, keep yourself pure. 2 Timothy 2.22 So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So do the verses on the left contradict the verses on the right? No, they complement each other. And this is personified in Jesus. At Capernaum, Jesus walked away from an eager crowd. During the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus refused to get involved in someone else's argument. Jesus refused to rush to Lazarus, even though he was sick. Jesus retreated up the mountain to pray in solitude. Jesus got up early in the morning to pray. Jesus, during his ministry, took moments to look after himself so that, ultimately, he could sustain looking after others. So what does that look like for us? Well, it looks like being willing to say no when people make unreasonable demands of us. It looks like fiercely protecting the times in the day, the week, the month and the year, when we seek God, read his word, worship him and connect with him. It looks like taking some time out, having a holiday, stepping down from a ministry, deciding not to join a big team, despite how many times I've asked you to. It's knowing when to let go of the rope so that you don't get dragged in yourself and you can run further up the bank and throw a different rope. How can we sustain our own involvement in this community of care? By taking moments when we put ourselves first in order to ultimately continue putting others first. Jim and the band, could you make your way up to the stage? Creating a culture of care. Allowing the church space to grow. Showing the world a glimpse of God's love. Proactive. Cheering each other on. Connecting to each other. Care flowing both ways and a balanced approach. And how can we, the congregation, take on this extra responsibility without burning out? By taking moments where we put ourselves first in order to ultimately be able to keep on putting others first. And this morning I think it's only right that if you're not currently following Jesus that I give you the opportunity to do so. Because yes, Jesus withdrew to the mountains to pray. Yes, Jesus took moments and made decisions where he looked after himself which allowed him to sustain his ministry. But this was only ever so that he could ultimately put us first. Jesus laid down his life and died a terrible death in the place of you and me. Ultimately, Jesus chose to put you first, and it cost him his life. And in that moment, God himself was torn apart out of desire for an eternal relationship with you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. Jesus considers you as a friend. This morning, if you want to accept Jesus and what he's done for you for the first time, then please grab whoever brought you to church this morning or join the next song, come up here to the front because we'd love to pray for you. And secondly, church, I want to give you permission to be a bit honest with yourself right now. Let's imagine that rope is instead strung across the hall from wall to wall and it's a bit like a spectrum At this end is a person who, if they're being completely honest with themselves, are putting themselves first and have not really got round to caring for others yet. The person over here uh, loves the idea of caring for others. But if I asked you, who are you caring for right now? You'd maybe struggle to answer that question. Or maybe you'd place yourself over this end of the spectrum people over this end of the spectrum, maybe it's you are juggling a lot of balls right now, trying to care for a lot of people but you know full well that it's not sustainable you've stopped investing in reading the Bible because of time pressures, you've got creeping fears but you haven't got the capacity to process them people over here are acutely aware that they cannot sustain the way that they're caring for other people at the moment for very much longer This morning, if you'd place yourself over this end of the spectrum, I'm going to pray for you that you'd know God's permission and blessing to take rest, that you'd have willingness to sometimes say no, and that you would find a strength that renews as you wait upon God. And this morning, if you'd say you're over this end of the spectrum, I'm going to pray that God would re-lodge inside your heart a desire to care for others, to invest in them and to walk with them. So let's just take a moment to think? Where on this spectrum would you say that you are right now? Is God nudging you to to step out more in caring for others? Is God's Spirit quietly convicting you right now that you need to be willing to engage more in other people's mess? Or is God gently reminding you in this moment that you need to take care of yourself? Is God's Spirit prodding you to discover a more sustainable rhythm in life. Where would you say you are right now? For more information about Freedom Church please go to www.freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.